we are still talking about one of my favorite stories in the Bible, I figured I would tell you about one of my other favorite things, one of my favorite television shows, Lost. It originally aired from 2004 to 2010 on ABC and told the story of some plane crash survivors and their life on an island. It deals with their backstories and how their lives are more connected than originally thought. It's constantly introducing complicated storylines. It's probably an understatement. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, I won't give anything away. Uh, but the idea that everything is interconnected plays a huge role in this show. No one person or storyline dominates the entirety. Really, all of their stories are the story of their time on the island. Because there's so much complexity in the show and constantly introducing nor more stories, um, every episode would start with the announcer's voice saying, previously on Lost. <laughs> and you get kind of a background story of some past episodes of things that would be important to know as you got to this new episode. Things that would help inform what was about to happen. It's a good reminder that no story happens in a vacuum. It's a good reminder that we need those reminders from time to time as well. So since we're looking at a complicated story and some time has passed since our last episode slash sermon, we'll start with a brief recap. So previously in Mark, Jesus crosses the sea back to the Jewish side of the lake where he's immediately met with a crowd wanting to see this famed teacher. This is where we meet our first new character, Jairus. He's a synagogue leader, and he falls to his hands and knees, begging Jesus to heal his daughter, who is dying. Jesus agrees, and they set off to Jairus' house. On the way, a woman appears in the crowd, our second character. She's been bleeding for 12 years, and no one has been able to cure her. In an act of desperation and faith, she touches Jesus' clothes, believing that even this small action will heal her. And it does. Jesus immediately realizes the power went out from him, so he stops and asks who touched him. The disciples laugh it off because they're in a crowd, and that's an impossible question. The woman, knowing that she has been caught, falls to her hands and knees and admits to what she has done. Jesus responds to this confession by saying, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. This is where we ended with Jesus talking to the woman and Jairus standing by, waiting. This is the tension we were left with. What will happen to the girl? What is going through Jairus' mind right now? Does Jesus even remember, about, remember this girl? We were left with a cliffhanger. So let's pick up the story right where we left off. Mark 5, verse 35 through 43. As a reminder, right before this, Jesus had said, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And while he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him, except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, 
Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. At this, they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. So if the healing of the bleeding woman was dramatic, then this healing is just over-the-top, midday soap opera dramatic. (laughs) We start by being abruptly thrown back into the story of Jairus, where this all started. This time, however, we hear from some new minor characters, some people from Jairus' house. We already knew Jairus was a man of some prestige, but now this seems even more clear. It's not stated whether these are servants or relatives or just bystanders. All we know is that they've been given a singular mission to deliver a message, a very important message. Your daughter is dead. And at these words, Jairus's world comes crashing down. He had come to Jesus with such urgency and hope, and now that's all lost. The messengers add that Jairus should stop bothering Jesus because there's nothing that Jesus can do about the situation anymore. Any hope that Jairus had is now gone. We know this feeling all too well. The feeling of praying for something and not having it materialize. The pain of reaching out to God and being disappointed. This is the same feeling we see in Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me, from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but find no rest. There's real pain and disappointment there. But we know that this psalm doesn't end here, and our story doesn't end here. That doesn't diminish what has happened there's a daughter that is dead. But the next line in this psalm is, yet you are holy. So this is where things are at their bleakest. But Jesus speaks into this bleakness. He says, do not fear, only believe. These are hard words to hear in this moment. Probably not what Jairus wanted to hear. Jairus had believed. That's why he went to Jesus in the first place. That hope turned out to be in vain, so finding the energy to hope again seems overwhelming. Despair is on the horizon. But before there can be any discussion about this, Jesus leaves the crowds behind and sets off to Jairus' house with three of his disciples. Apparently, Jesus still believes. As Jesus sets his course, he turns to his disciples who have seen everything transpire, his faithful followers. And instead of telling them all to follow, he only brings three of them along, Peter, James, and John. And maybe Jesus knew that these three disciples could handle what was about to happen, 
Or maybe he needed to leave the other ones behind to handle some other business. We don't really know. But what we will learn in Mark is that whenever these three disciples get picked out of the crowd, we should pay attention. We also see these three picked out at the Transfiguration, where Jesus shines with the glory of God. We see them at Jesus' final teaching, where he preaches about the destruction of the temple and the destruction of his own body. And we see them in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus' final moments with his disciples. So this moment is going to be very important. We should put up a little red flag in our minds. When our travelers reach Jairus' house, they're met with another group of minor characters, a different crowd. Again, wherever Jesus goes, it seems that there's a crowd there waiting for him. But this crowd is not here for Jesus. They're weeping and wailing at the loss of a child. This conf- Jesus confronts them directly and tells them that the girl is only sleeping. Their response quickly turns from weeping to laughter. It seems that this crowd is voicing all of the emotions tied up in this situation. They know that the girl is dead. If she were still alive, they wouldn't be there. Jesus doesn't have any time for them, though. So he sends them out and continues on with the girl's parents and his three disciples. This may seem callous to send mourners away. It's not something we would like if we were mourning. But it's very likely that these people are being paid to mourn. It's not uncommon in this time for well-off families to pay mourners in order to reach the proper threshold of mourning. In this situation, the untimely death of a girl surely deserves the heights of mourning. It doesn't seem right for just a few to really be involved in this process. The whole town should know. But Jesus doesn't care about these societal expectations, so he moves on. But let's stay on Jesus' statement to the crowd just a little longer. He says, The child is not dead, but sleeping. This doesn't mean that Jesus is refuting the claim that the girl is dead. Rather, he's claiming that her death is not permanent. Sleep is a common image used for death in the Old Testament, but it's not a death that has an ending. It's a death that has a being woken again, awaking from that sleep. It's a death that believes in a resurrection. So this death is very real, but it is only temporary. Finally, Jesus makes it to the girl. This is the moment the story has been aiming towards since Jesus stepped foot off the boat. And just like the woman... We don't know this girl's name, but we know that Jesus cares about her. And just like the woman, touch plays a major role in this healing. So Jesus reaches out, touches her by the hand, and tells her to get up. And immediately, she is healed. Jairus' reaction to this is amazement, which, if you ask me, is the only proper reaction to seeing someone raised from the dead. This has been quite the roller coaster of emotions for Jairus. 
He's been through desperation, hope, impatience, fear, despair, belief, and now amazement. I'm sure he's relieved to see his daughter alive, but he must be emotionally exhausted by this point. Just drained. In all of this, Jesus is careful to make sure that he doesn't appear to be using some type of magic or demonic power. He's been accused of this in the past, so he wants to make sure what's happened is very clear. He uses the language of Aramaic, the natural language of that area. He doesn't recite some magical spell or some far-off language. He also brings witnesses with him. We have his disciples, but also the parents. And he doesn't try to convince the crowd that he's all-powerful in this. Instead, he gives them a simplified version of what's about to happen and doesn't draw attention to himself. After the girl's healed, he doesn't want to parade her around. He wants her life to return to normal. And what's more normal than eating a meal? This healing, as the audience, draws our focus directly to Jesus, the healer. But throughout the entire story, Jesus is redirecting our attention from himself to those he healed. So we should look at those that have been healed to see what we can learn. So here are three quick thoughts. One, Jesus cares about our whole life, not just if we breathe. The woman's condition did not seem to be killing her, but it made her life something less than, and that just won't do in the kingdom of God. In a similar way, as soon as the girl was healed, Jesus wanted her life to get back to normal. So she wanted, he wanted her to eat. Our day-to-day lives matter. Two, there are times when we need to go to Jesus, and there are times when we need Jesus to come to us. The woman used her initiative to search out what she truly needed, the touch of Jesus in her life. The girl had to rely on others so that Jesus would come to her when she could not. Neither one is better than the other. It's more about the fittingness for the situation, our proper response. And three, Jesus breaks down barriers. The barrier of political power doesn't stop Jesus from his interactions. The barrier of ritual cleanliness doesn't stop him. The barrier of social class doesn't stop Jesus. It's not an accident that this story is about the healing of two females. Here we see Jesus reenfranchising the disenfranchised. All of the artificial barriers that we put up between people cannot stop the power of Christ. And this is where our story ends. Jairus' daughter is healed. The parents are amazed and celebrating that they have a child again. And the disciples are trying to wrap their mind around what has just happened. It's a neat and tidy happy ending. It's the happy ending we were all expecting from the beginning. And for us, we know this story holds truths. And we've discussed several of them through these two weeks. But we also know that not every story ends this way. Not every ending is happy. So what do we do with this story? 
we start by acknowledging that Mark is not writing a how-to book. The story is not entitled, Three Easy Steps to Complete Healing. It shows us that Jesus does have power over death, but that not every death will be avoided. The woman will eventually die, and the girl will die again. But we have the confidence that our deaths will not be permanent. Just like the girl, our deaths will be very real, but they're only temporary. We also know that this story teaches us about who Jesus is. His power is over all things, spirits, illness, water, even death. There's nothing that is more powerful than Jesus because Jesus is God. Now, I mentioned something last week that I promised we'd get back to, so I probably should. Jairus' name. Throughout the entire story, Jairus was the only new character that got a name. The crowd, the woman, the people from Jairus' house, the other crowd, the girl's mother, the girl, none of them have names. Jairus does. We said that his name either means he enlightens or he awakens. I think in this instance, the he is probably Jesus. So let's talk about that. He enlightens. By healing these women, Jesus is showing us who he is and that his power does not know limits. By healing, Jesus is bringing light into the darkness of this world. We know that we will experience suffering and pain, but we also know that Jesus shines light on that pain. Both women in this story suffer significantly, but Jesus is still able to bring light into their future. And also, he awakens. In the story, Jesus wakes the girl up, and she lives again. The message that Christians proclaim is that our deaths are not permanent. The last two lines of the Apostles' Creed really drive this home. We believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. This story is where we begin to realize that Easter is coming, that resurrection is coming. This story foreshadows what is to come. Jesus will bring even more light into the world when his resurrection is proclaimed on Easter morning. This story builds the expectation for the future that we hold on to. Today is the last Sunday before Holy Week. We've been through the season of Lent, so we should be expectant for what is to come. The story of Lent is intimately connected to the story of Easter. And we have seen how complex stories get woven together to provide more depth and understanding. Not only is the story of Jairus connected to the story of the bleeding woman, but by entering this story, we're also connected to it. Our lives have been impacted by their stories, and now we are part of the larger story of God's work in the world. Lent and Easter are part of this story too, which means they are impacted by the healing of the woman and the girl. They provide more depth and understanding for these seasons. So as we approach Holy Week, we can look to Jesus' words to Jairus 
Do not fear. Only believe. May our remaining time in Lent and the rest of our lives be characterized not by fear, but by our faith. Let us pray. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.